Welcome to Inside US UCOM. My name is Mass Sergeant Jeff Curtin, and I am with the ECPA Public Affairs Office. Today with me, I've got US UCOM Deputy Surgeon General, Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Octavia Jones. Hello, ma'am. How are you today? I'm outstanding. How are you? I'm great. And I have the Chief of US UCOM Force Health Protection, Air Force Major Megan Martin. How are you, ma'am? I'm good. Thanks for having us today. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. Today we're going to be talking about COVID-19 updates and all the things COVID-19 that we possibly can within our, the time period that we've got. So what is the purpose of the surgeon team and why is it important to USUCOM? Um, so I will say that the surgeons team, we are the medical advisors to the combatant commander. So our job is to ensure that General Walters has the most pertinent medical information available so that he can make decisions um, in, in the operational space. So we advise him on, you know, force health protection things, uh, COVID and others, as well as medical plans and operations and global health engagement. As that's our relationships with our partner nations and their capabilities and how they can help support us in, in contingency operations. Wow, interesting. So would you say that you, uh, ma'am, are the kind of the leader of the team over there, the, the surgeon team? Uh, so I, I assist with uh, leading the team. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Elizabeth Erickson, she is the surgeon right now. Uh, unfortunately, she couldn't be with us today, but she she's one of those smart people that's got all the knowledge inside her brain. and She leads our team expertly. Yeah, I know that's one of the things that we've got actually in all the sections, right, is a lot of smart people doing a lot of smart things. It's hard to kind of pick out who's in charge because everyone really knows what they're doing. So, and Major, you are in the force, force health protection position there within that team. What is, uh, what is your section doing? How does it, how does it participate with uh, the surgeon team? So right now, about 90% of our work is, is COVID-focused um, just because of the pandemic. It's been like that for about a year now. Uh, but we do, we do a lot of other missions. Um, tick-borne, um, tick-borne encephalitis is another important disease within our um, area of responsibility. So there's other, other diseases um, of concern out there that have um, operational impact to our forces, but COVID is our, is our main focus. Right now. <laughs> right now. Right yeah, now. right now it's your main focus. <laughs> right yeah, and so, I mean, you see a, have you seen a drawing down of that at all? I mean, obviously over the past year plus, we've been focusing on COVID-19, it's, uh, rightfully so. Have you seen any little, a little, any drawing down of that, or any any parts of your team that are starting to focus on other things or side projects? Um, so I would say uh, we never really actually stopped focusing on the other projects. Uh, you know, what we tried to do is make sure that COVID minimally impacted the operational mission here. So we did a lot to make sure we could continue to perform our required things. Uh, so, you know, I'll say, for instance, um, the defender exercise that USER puts on, the Army puts on, that went ahead while it was scoped down a little bit. It, it still went ahead, and we still had all of those other protection measures that we had to put in place. So we have current emergencies, we have current situations, but yes, we, we, we focused a lot on, on COVID, but there was still always the other impacts that had to be focused on. Yeah, Defender 21 is going on right now, right? And yeah. it's, uh, it actually is a huge exercise. And uh, so from a fourth health, force health protection position, how, does, uh, how do you help the team prepare? How do you help all these, all these units get prepared for that kind of uh, exercises, both physically and mentally? So that's a, that's a really important question. So overall, we, we try to articulate the scientific guidance, the public health policy out, and then implement, and help to implement that for these particular exercises or how we do our daily operations within the headquarters. 
So we advise on um, the appropriate measures such as wearing masks, physical distancing. Also just, you know, you mentioned about mental health, right? So that's, that's another concern is that this, this is, can be a very stressful time for our family members, for our forces right now. So ensuring that we have those capabilities and that support for those members is, is definitely important right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I will add in that um, we, we worked very closely with the Army team to make sure that the personnel that were coming in were tested um, prior to or upon arrival, that they did the appropriate quarantine and restriction of movement requirement, uh, met those things, as well as the, the host nation requirements, because it's not just about what we, the U.S., want to do. It's about what the host nation will allow us to do. Um, so a, a lot of that, too. And, and I'll bring up another thing that's quite uh quite a big deal, African swine fever, which is cleaning the actual vehicles and, and personnel and things as they come through the, the area of responsibility. So um, all those things kept going the entire time that COVID has, has been in existence and, and impacting our lives. So you all been working real hard for the past year and a half. <laughs> Not that you weren't working hard before that, I'm sure. It's just every day is a new challenge, and this is the one we happen to be in right now, right? So your team is responsible with ensuring that the command copes with COVID-19, right, as well. And uh, so who, i got to ask the question, who's, who's responsible for determining whether or not I wear a mask while, while I'm at the gym or, or walking around on base? So I will say that we try to follow all of the Center for Disease Control guidance as it comes out. So back in the United States, in Atlanta, Georgia, they, they're the lead for the COVID response for all the U.S. government. Um, so we try and fall in line with those requirements as well as what the host nation mandates that we do. So from our perspective, and, and I think if you'll remember the new administration came in and one of the first pieces of policy that the new president put out was mandatory mask wear on all U.S. installations and all uh, government property. So that was one of the more strict policies that got play, put into place and our leadership decided when and where exceptions to that policy would be granted. So each of the um, component commanders and the combatant commander made that decision for their forces that they're responsible for. You have anything to add on that, man? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she hit that pretty well. Yeah, she did pretty well on that one. Um, but, you talking. know, it, it's it's definitely a balance, right? So we not only have CDC guidelines, but as uh, host nation guidelines as well. So as you know, Germany, at least for us here locally in, in Stuttgart, we're, we're on a lockdown, and that got extended through mid-April. So we also have to be causing it and, and interpret their public health policy as well and make sure we align with host nation. Yeah, speaking of host nation, how important is it that we as guests in this nation actually adhere to the guidelines? I mean, if I walk out into the, the city of Stuttgart or into any of the surrounding areas, how important is it that I actually know what's going on in those areas and that I'm following the guidelines of those areas? So I'll say it's critical. Um, so uh, most of the people that are in this um, in the European continent for as part of according the DOD, um, they are here on what they call the SOFA status, status of forces agreements, which says you will abide by host nation requirements. Um, and so this is one of those. And unfortunately, if, if you choose not to follow or, or respect host nation requirements, you can have your SOFA status revoked and you can be sent home from this country that they are allowing us to be in. So um, I would say it's very, vital. Uh, we continuously scour the, the Edward, uh, what Robert Koch Institute uh, is the Germany's equivalent of the Center for Disease Control. We constantly scour that to make sure that we're uh, providing as much information we can about what the German requirements are and each of the combatant commands and the components that we have that support us do the same for the areas that they're in as well. Yeah, that's, that's re that is really important. I mean, I haven't been here that long in the, in the country, but uh, 
but I really, really enjoy it so far, and yep. I would not, I would not like to go back to the states right at this moment. So, uh, all right, well, um, so let's move on to um, the vaccine. Obviously, you know, it's like people are wondering, you know, when's this going to happen? What's what's the status? How long until I can get a vaccine? And what does that vaccine actually mean? At this, can I go out to restaurants and start moving around the the area, or, uh, or do I still have certain restrictions? So, where are we at with that? Um, so I, I will preface this question as saying that things are continuously changing. Um, but the United States government has purchased vaccine from private industries in the United States. And as the Department of Defense, we get a small portion of that because, of course, the United States is responsible for vaccinating 330 million, of which the Department of Defense is less than 1% of that. Um, so we get vaccinations at, at an appropriate rate. In this theater, we have received about 92,000 doses, um, and we've administered already over 88,000 doses of those. So we, we work very hard to make sure that as soon as we get vaccine, we can put it out there um, and get it into the arms of the people that, that need it. Um, but beyond that, um, the president recently gave some guidance and some thoughts that they've increased vaccine production in the United States. And so he gave a goal of, of May timeframe that he wants to have enough vaccine available for everybody. Um, and so we, we want to or we will get a portion of that allocation and hopefully we'll fall in those same guidelines in that same time frame. Yeah, kind of. I know it sounds kind of like a broken record, but uh, obviously patience is criti critical here. Um, a lot of people have been patient for a long time. Some are getting a little restless, but at the same time, we have to maintain the, that aspect because it, it is really important. Everyone is working really, really hard. I can assure that. And uh, you all are, you are not uh, exemptions to that at all. So yeah, are they safe? Are they effective? I mean, at this point, like if I take the vaccine, what's to say that it's actually going to do me any good? So that, that's an excellent question. So even though the, the vaccines are under emergency use authorization still, the vaccines are, are shown to be very effective and very safe. So the vaccines will protect yourself and they'll also protect people around you. And now that we know that they're very effective and very safe, it's a really important tool that we have in our toolkit now to help us kind of stop this pandemic. And, um, CDC guidelines, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they still highly recommend to continue wearing your, your face mask or face covering, as well as um, physical distancing as we continue to learn even more about COVID and the vaccine. But the research is very promising. Okay. That, yeah. And that's really great to hear. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to be on the list here sometime soon. And uh, I'm looking forward to being able to just walk around wherever I want, do whatever I want, and not wear a mask, right? Um, so that's that's not immediately, you know, as soon as you get vaccine, everything stops and, and you don't have to work on any of the force health protection measures. Um, again, as this, this disease is evolving and we're, we're still learning more about it, especially with the option or that, that the fact that variants are becoming an issue as well. Um, it is still recommended that people that have been vaccinated uh, still practice social distancing and mask wear. There are certain liftings of restrictions that you could say per the, the CDC. Uh, so personnel or people that have been vaccinated um, and, and everyone in that group setting is vaccinated, they're allowed to gather in small areas uh, without masks, with less social distancing. But it's not a free-for-all of just, I want to go out and never wear a mask again and I don't have to wash my hands anymore and I get to be in, in somebody's face immediately and all the time. There's still precautions that you put in place, uh, but it's allowing a little bit more freedom at a time. And as we continue to find out information about the the 
the virus, we, we will continue, the CDC will continue to evolve the guidelines for that. Oh, that's great to hear. And, you know, there's one thing that I really want to know, and I know there's rumors kind of go in both directions. Does the vaccine prevent you from getting sick or does it just, or does it prevent you from actually getting the virus? So it definitely reduces disease severity and death, um, especially with the mRNA vaccines, because we have a lot more research with that and with the Johnson & Johnson um, Janssen vaccine. So preventing death and severe illness, it's very effective at doing that. Um, some There's also a lot of research out there that's saying it does prevent you from re- getting the illness. Um, even even for more mild illness or asymptomatic. So we're still learning about that aspect, but um, overall it's showing very good indications that it will do that. Yeah, so that's good to hear because, I mean, even if I get the vaccine, I should still obviously, like you said, practice all those precautions because I theoretically could be a carrier even though I do not feel sick or have any symptoms or anything like that, and I could spread it to someone else, right? Yeah, we just need to keep learning about the vaccine, and it's going to take time, much like we're even still learning about COVID-19 in general, right? Just the virus, and, and it goes along with the vaccine as well, that we just need to continue learning. So so it's just, again, another part of our toolkit, but we need to remember to still utilize our other protective measure, measures like physical distancing, face masks, co- um, testing, and even quarantine and isolation. Yeah, I mean, it's a brand, it's it's a fairly new thing, right? The COVID-19, it's a fairly new virus in general, let alone the, the, uh, the vaccine. So mm-hmm. we just have to stay vigilant and pay attention to those kinds of things. Um, so Pen- Pentagon officials recently stated that all DOD personnel and beneficiaries will be eligible for the vaccine. Do you have any insight on that or any timelines or anything that you uh, that you have that you might be able to add to that? Um, so they, they gave the, the one May kind of goal is that they wanted to, to hit on. Um, and, and I want to stress that it's not, you know, everybody rush to your local medical treatment facility on one May and say, give me a vaccine right now. Um, what they say or what the actual intent is that they will, it'll be open to all of the rest of the tiers um, at that point in time. So I will say that... Um, we have a, a large population here in the U.S. UCOM area of responsibility, and most of that population falls into the generally healthy population, and that's not the people we're targeting right now. Right now, we're targeting the people that are sicker, um, our medical professionals, so that we can make sure that if, uh, or people that have uh, pre-existing medical conditions, so that they don't end up in the hospital overwhelming our medical systems. So by the 1 May timeframe, they want to be able to open up the vaccines for all the healthy people that are out there that are eligible for the the vaccine through the Department of Defense. Um, So each of the medical treatment facilities are creating processes and having those in place so that they can manage the vaccine uh, rollout as soon as those vaccines start flowing from the skies, as they say, when there's a a lot more vaccine available and the supply and demand issues are no longer the what's the constraining factor okay well that's good to hear i mean it's it's great to hear that there's somewhat of a timeline obviously there's, there's as you said everything's flexible and everything's kind of changing slightly from time to time so we're going to keep an eye on that and everybody should just basically be paying attention and how are they 
they're going to get notified by somebody, an email or a text or a phone call to say that they're eligible, or how does that work? So each of the medical treatment facilities are doing theirs slightly differently. So some of them are planning to do max vaccination events where they'll, you know, like the flu line, you come here on a certain day between certain hours, and, and pretty much if you're eligible, we'll give you a shot. Uh, some of them are doing it by appointment only so that they can maintain their clinical services. So I'd say it, it has to be coordinated with your medical treatment facility at the installation that you're at. Then, you know, uh, there's different processes and different procedures as, as each different base has a um, mission that they have to still accomplish as well. So it's a balancing act of making sure that we get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible versus maintaining our, our regular mission. Yeah, that could actually be really crucial to someone being able to go on an exercise or a TDY or anything like that, right? So how does how does getting the vaccine affect somebody's ability to perform their duties over someone that doesn't have a vaccine yet? Well, right now, um, the, the force health protection or the, the non-pharmaceutical interventions that, that we utilize, are they're still being implemented for personnel, um, whether you know they're vaccinated or not. Until we know more about how effective the vaccine is in the long term um, and, and how much of the population has uh, either a natural immunity to the disease or has a pharmaceutical immunity, you can't really start lifting those restrictions as of yet. And so right now, a lot of the people that are coming over for exercises, they still have to do, even though if they're vaccinated, they still have to do, you know, the, the social distancing. They still have to do the quarantine. They still have to get tested just to be on the safe side. Hopefully in the future, I can't give you a specific timeline, but hopefully in the future that will not become or that will no longer be an issue for, for our personnel that are just living their everyday lives or deploying so yeah that's the goal that's the goal for everyone right that's not not just us but that's everyone's goal Uh, so how does the medical readiness factor come into play i mean you know obviously we have medical readiness that has to happen all the time i mean i just got my mmr shot the other day and and that was you know that's a regular thing that we all have to get how does how does the COVID 19 perspective uh fall into our medical readiness on on a regular basis and how will it fall into the medical readiness in the future years and years down the road. So I would say right now it is not a factor because this vaccine is not mandatory for any service member or dependent or beneficiary. Um, There could come a time where this does become a mandatory vaccine that people will have to take. And when that time comes, it it will greatly impact your medical readiness um, or ability to deploy and and, uh, perform your duties. But as of right now, at this moment, it has not been mandated by the president as a mandatory vaccine. We don't know if and when that will happen. It's more probably more probable than not that it will eventually become a mandatory vaccine. Um, but as of right now, it's not infecting your, your medical readiness. It is a, a vaccine that is highly recommended that you take because we think eventually it will impact that. Do you have any thoughts on, uh, there's some people that have the, the, the thinking that um, maybe this is a, an opportunity for me to be able to control my own, my own future and maybe to be able to take a say in what I do and do, don't put in my body. Some people that are a little skeptical as to how the vaccine works or whether or not it's going to be effective or if it's going to have some negative effects on them. What would you say to those people? I would just say follow the science. So the science shows that this vaccine is very effective and it's very safe. So if you look at look at the science, maybe kind of avoid Facebook or Twitter or what else, you know, people have their opinions. But there's a lot of really intelligent people, um, very intelligent scientists who are working on this. And this is one of the most studied viruses and vaccines that we've ever, we've ever seen. So there's a lot of smart people looking into this. And 
the evidence is very clear that it's very effective and very safe. And as we mentioned before, this will hopefully you know, ease the pandemic and give us some relief so we can have more of those nice freedoms or, or be have an opportunity to travel more safely or visit with grandparents safely. So I think considering all those factors, it's highly encouraged at this point. Yeah, I mean, you make a good, great point. I mean, social media obviously plays a huge role in all of our lives and like the way that we see the world and we, we kind of take in information. That being said, do you have any specific um, outlets or, in, or places where people can get information, even if it is on social media? Like, what are some, some locations, some places I can look up to get updates? So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they have a Facebook site. They also have a website. And so this is where it's a very credible source, right? And that would be a good place. Also, um, the ECDC, so that's Europeans equivalent to the uh, Centers for Disease Control Prevention. So that's their equivalent website. They also have a lot of uh, good information that is credible, and it's a little bit pertains more to the European region. And, and I'll say I love the CDC website. Um, so for everybody out there, that's www.cdc.gov. Um, so literally the, the first page is is all the vaccine or all the the COVID information you could want. There's like a giant block for, you know, vaccine efforts and travel requirements. And it's it's pretty much dedicated almost exclusively to COVID at this point in time. So if you want a credible source from people who have been studying diseases and and contagions their entire adult lives, typically like that's the people to talk to. Those are the people to read their information. Uh, you know, while, while there are great reports out there on things that tends to be filtered through a, a, a media filter or something along those lines. This is the straight information directly from the people who do this for a living. Um, and I, I check that site at least four times a day. <laughs> yeah, and that's those are two really great outlets. Those are great places to go for information. I mean, that being said, we are in Europe and a lot of people here are looking forward to getting into traveling again and seeing everything that Europe actually has to offer. Do you have any recommendations for places they can go for country-specific or guidelines that will help them uh, be, be able to be better travelers, be better partners or allies to the host nations and, and taking care of not just themselves, but everyone they come in contact with. Um, so in addition to going through our CDC or the European CDC, um, we have uh, the foreign clearance guide, which is something our, our you know, embassies um, in each of these countries spend a lot of time going through and making sure that you put up front the, the requirements to enter their country, whether it's for leave, whether it's for an exercise, whether it's for any type of travel to their country. Each one of those foreign clearance guide sites has information about what you have to do to enter that country and follow their requirements safely. I, I'm trying to think of the other places that I usually go to check this. I, I try and check the individual Ministry of Health websites um, that they have out there. Uh, Google Chrome does an amazing job of translating those from whichever language they're in. Um, but that, that's where I would start, if, if nothing else. And I think when travel really does start to pick up, hopefully soon here, as more people get vaccinated, it's really important to just ensure to do your research, right? So COVID has really forced us to even, you know, do even more planning when we, when we travel. So just ensuring that you understand what that particular host nation guidance is. Do they require a COVID test upon arrival? Is that within 48 hours, 72 hours, as well as 
do they require face masks? And I would say even if they, even if that country maybe might be a little less conservative about that, to still wear that face mask and just be respective. But knowing really what is the host nation require, I think is will help set you straight up during your travels. Great, that's fantastic news. And you know what? I mean, I'm really loving the whole hiking and you know some outdoor stuff that there is to offer uh, throughout the area here. And uh, I'm probably going to keep doing that for a little while. And when stuff does start to open back up, I'm sure that uh, I'll keep doing it because it's a great form of exercise. And uh, there's a lot to see here. Yes, there so is. So I'm, I'm excited to, as we move forward to to get some get to get in some of those vaccines and and see how that's been uh, how that's coming. Do you have anything that you want to add to to this concept or or to the COVID nineteen situation in general? I would say we have to exercise patience at this point in time. Uh, you know, I, I know we all want to get back to normal and not wearing masks. Um, I will say COVID-19 as a virus does not really care that we want to uh, get back to normal and stop wearing masks. And, and they kind of disregard our vote in that. Uh, so as the, the better that we comply with the force health protection requirements, the easier it is to stop the spread. So you see now cases are arising across the globe. And it's because they're tracking that down to non-compliance with host nation requirements. You know, as you're vaccinating, you would think immediately, you know, decline in cases. Um, but people are stopping and, and, and stopping doing the things that they're required to do. Um, and it's and unfortunately going in the opposite direction across the globe that we want it to go. So I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know it's frustrating and we all just want to go back. But we have to be patient and we have to continue to, to follow those those force health protection measures to help stop the spread of this disease. So Colonel Jones, you have a lot of great points. Um, but you know, I, I really just encourage when it's everyone's time to to really consider the science and the research that's out there with the vaccine and encourage you all to get vaccinated as we um, get through this pandemic. I know it's really tough with COVID fatigue and we want to get back to our normal lives, but I, th- I think the vaccine is really going to be that answer for globally on a global scale. Yeah, awesome points all across. And we look forward to uh, hearing more from you both and seeing what it is that uh, as we go forward, the research that you both are doing. We thank you for all the work that you're putting in, the extra efforts for your entire team here at uh, the headquarters of UCOM. And uh, I appreciate your you attending and, and talking with us today. Uh, that was a Lieutenant Colonel Octavia Jones, the U.S. UCOM Deputy Surgeon General, and Major Megan Martin, the Chief of U.S. UCOM Force Health Protection. This has been Inside U.S. UCOM. I'm Master Sergeant Jeff Curtin from Public Affairs Office, and uh, thank you for listening today. We appreciate your attendance, and we look forward to talking to you again when the next episode rolls.